Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you, to share God's word with you. We go to God's word. Let's go to him in prayer so that we can receive what he has for us. Let's pray one more time. Oh, Father, we need you. We recognize that. Help us to be needy people right now and fully depend on you for your grace in this time as we go to your word. We pray that you would use your word in the hearts of your people here. Convict us, correct us, change us, so that we will look more like your son, Jesus Christ, as a result. And we ask in his name, amen. So it's now 2024. And there are several things that makes this year unique. For one, an election year, for better or worse, is also a leap year, which is pretty interesting. But it's also a year for the Summer Olympics, which I always look forward to. And the Olympic Games are usually hard to keep up with because there's so many events going on, like skateboarding is also an Olympic sport now, which is interesting. You too can be an Olympian if you skateboard. But one thing that most people tune in for is the opening ceremony. And since that infamous 1936 Berlin Summer Olympics, which started this modern uh, uh, Olympic torch relay, that has become a staple of every Olympic Games since. And that relay starts with the lighting of the torch in Athens, Greece, and then it's passed on and carried along all the way to the journey of the Olympic Games. In the summer of 2008, the Olympic Games took place in Beijing, China. And during this Olympic torch relay, it took the longest journey. In fact, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for, for breaking all of these records. The journey was 85,000 miles. The Olympic torch traveled by air, sea, and land. It started on March 24, 2008, and then, started on, and, and then ended on August 8th with the opening ceremony. And as that torch was carried, it passed through 21 countries, and nearly 22,000 people carried it along. Now keep that metaphor in mind. Picture that Olympic torch, set a flame, and then pass on. And then think about us. Here we are in 2024, thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from Jerusalem in A.D. 33, where the Lord Jesus Christ commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations and to go to the ends of the earth. And here the gospel is, in Chevrolet or Bladensburg, wherever we are, as we sit here this morning. Jesus lit the flame and passed the torch to his disciples, and they eventually made its way to us. We have the same message, the same ministry, and the same mission as the Apostle Paul had, as his son in the faith, Timothy, had as well, which is to faithfully pass the torch of the gospel to others. The Apostle Paul must have had the ancient 
Olympic Games in his mind as he penned this letter to, to Timothy, his son in the faith, because what he's trying to encourage him is to carry the torch along faithfully and pass it on faithfully to others. If you haven't done so already, please meet me in the letter of 2 Timothy. You're using the Bibles provided. That's on page 995 of those black Bibles you have around you. We're going to spend the next several weeks completing this letter from Paul to Timothy that we started sometime in October. In chapter 1, Paul encourages Timothy in this letter of his, and reminds him of the sincere faith that he had received from others, that he received from the Lord, that he was passed along by his grandmother and his mother, and that he had the responsibility of stewarding well. Paul went on to tell Timothy that he must not be ashamed of proclaiming this good news of the gospel and must also not be ashamed of suffering for the sake of the gospel. That theme occurs over and over and over again throughout this entire letter. Paul tells Timothy to also guard the gospel by following the right pattern and following the right people at the end of chapter 1. And he shows him what that should look like. Now in chapter 2, what does it look like to pass on this ministry of the gospel faithfully and to pass it on to those who are faithful? In other words, how to pass the torch along. That leads us to our text, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll start reading from verse 1. This is God's word. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You're taking notes. Here's the main point of our time together in God's Word. The message of the gospel is passed along through faithful ministry. The message of the gospel is passed along through faithful ministry. As we get back into this letter, I wanted to first address why and how this letter applies to us today. Second Timothy, unlike many of, of Paul's other epistles, is not written to a church, it's written to a man, a young pastor, Timothy who needed guidance and encouragement to carry on in the faith and to press on in the ministry. So that obviously applies well to ministers, to pastors. But how does it apply to the rest of us? Firstly, pastors shepherd people. And we are people, right? So their ministry influences our lives. And hopefully that is one of a faithful ministry. Secondly, pastors shepherd churches, and Christians should be devoted to the local church. 
Thirdly, all of God's people are called into gospel ministry, whether we ever pastor or not. And lastly, for members of CBC, we're in the middle of a pastoral search. We're in the midst of a transition as a church. And this should remind us of what we should be desiring most of all. We're desiring faithfulness in a pastor that will lead us. But faithfulness is not passive, nor is it neutral. And this is why Paul is instructing Timothy about what a faithful ministry entails, so that by his grace, Timothy would know, and so therefore we would know what a faithful ministry should look like. So our main idea is going to be covered in four points that we'll start with now. Point number one, if you're still taking notes, a faithful ministry relies completely on Christ. Relies completely on Christ. Look again at verse one. Paul starts by saying, you then, my child, and that you then is reminding Timothy of the contrast of the ending of of 2 Timothy chapter 1, where he's talking about Phygelus and Hermogenes, who were two men who followed Jesus and then turned away from Jesus. Paul is saying, don't be like that. Instead, he gives him another example on a Sepphoris, and there was the model of a good and faithful minister. He remained faithful to the Lord. He was not ashamed of Paul, nor was he ashamed of the gospel. And Paul wants Timothy to know that this kind of faithfulness is not the result of grit. It's the result of God's grace in his life. So Timothy should be strengthened, Paul said, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But strength is not something that we normally associate with grace. Like we might associate grace with comfort. So we might often pray things like, that, that we would be comforted by God's grace or that we would be encouraged by God's grace. But the need for grace is a reminder that we, in and of ourselves, every single one of us, are weak. And Paul, this giant in the faith, the apostle to the Gentiles, this church planter, this pastor, this missionary, was aware of his own weaknesses, and God made it so. So in 2 Corinthians, for example, you might remember Paul talking about this thorn in this side that the Lord gave him to humble him, showed him his weakness. But here's the result of it. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 9, but he said to me, he being Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Paul here is reminding Timothy that a faithful ministry is a dependent ministry, and one that fully relies on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my heroes in the faith was a man by the name of Rudy Johnson. He was a missionary in Peru for many years. He grew up in Oklahoma, 
felt the Lord sent him to Peru. So he went there, and the work of his ministry sparked my desire for God's word and also even ministry itself. But Rudy was not particularly special, and he lets you know that he wasn't special. In fact, he was told that because of his dyslexia, he would never learn Spanish, so he had no business going to Peru. He was told that he wouldn't last long there, and yet the Lord used him to plant over 50 churches to, to minister and to train up dozens of pastors, many who still minister there today. In fact, the Lord used him to plant the church that I met the Lord in, in Miami. I also met my wife there. So win-win. Praise the Lord. But Rudy's prayer, and he often told it to us, was, was this. He prayed that his ministry would be so big that people would look at him and his ministry and think, there is no possible way that you did that. That had to be done with the help of the Lord. And by God's grace, he answered that prayer. So as we think about our own lives and our own ministries, do we aim to look strong or are we okay with looking weak before others? We might be tempted as we seek to, to share the gospel with our neighbors, coworkers, friends, especially once non-Christians know that we are Christians, we might appear to look strong for them. Like we have all the answers, right? Like we don't ever have any bad days. Like we don't ever lose our temper. Like we're never weak. Maybe we might be performing for them. Parents, do you struggle with this sometimes? Maybe even in your household, you struggle to ask your child for forgiveness because they know the gospel that you claim to believe? We might struggle in that in our marriages or even in our friendships. It's hard to look weak. But God says that's exactly when he is made strong, when we are weak. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be used by him, not just when we feel strong, but in and through our weaknesses so that he can be shown as strong. And the same is true of us as a church, isn't it? Are we willing to boast in our weaknesses? Because then it shows Christ himself is strong in us. And while the Lord has indeed been, to, been faithful to our church for these last several years, we might feel like we are lacking right now. Like we are lacking a building. If we could just find the right building for the right price in the right location, then the Lord could fill in the blank. Or as we think of this pastoral search process, if we could just find a pastor who is like this, who has that personality, who has that gifting among us, then our church could really fill in the blank. Yes, we should continue to pray for the Lord to provide a regular meeting space for us, a permanent church building. We've been praying that for years. And yes, we should pray for the Lord to provide us a faithful lead pastors. I encourage you to continue to pray for that. But brothers and sisters, the lack of a church building or the lack of a lead pastor does not mean that we lack the grace of God. His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is abundant for us. 
His grace is seen most clearly when we feel weak. Maybe we even feel that right now. So let's pray that the Lord would use this season to make us a dependent people, that we would fully rely on Christ, that we would be marked by God's grace, that the outside world will look at us and say there is no possible way that these people were able to accomplish this for God's glory that had to be of the Lord. That's what Paul did. And that's what what Timothy would need to have, Paul says, if he were going to have a faithful ministry. But faithful ministry relies on Christ. Secondly, a faithful ministry reproduces faithful ministers. So first point, a faithful ministry relies on Christ. Second point, a faithful ministry reproduces faithful ministers. Here we have verse 2 where Paul says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul tells Timothy here to continue to teach what he's heard. And Paul is here more than likely referring to the message of the gospel, not just the pastoral tips that he would have been giving him along the way. Because even as he's giving them these these, uh, tips or telling him how he should pastor, he's grounding all of that encouragement in the message of the gospel. That's what he does in chapter 1, for example. He refers to the sincere faith that they share in chapter 1, verse 5. Or in verse 8, he calls Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. The testimony of our Lord is the gospel. And he explains that the power of God saving through the gospel and Christ abolishing death through the gospel in verses 9 through 11. Why that reminder? He wants him to remember this is all about the gospel. We should be reminded of that as well. And then in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, follow the pattern of sound words. So what you have heard, meaning the message of the gospel. Paul declared in other places to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, which means that the gospel was the main point and focus of his ministry. And more than anything else, that's what he wanted to pass along to others, like Timothy. But this message of the gospel was not proclaimed in isolation, but in the presence of many witnesses, as it says there in chapter 2, verse 2. Paul is explaining that this message of the gospel was not some secret message, not something that he thought up, not something that could be changed or modified. Why? Because in the presence of witnesses, they would have heard it, and they therefore would have affirmed it. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, should be affirmed by God's people, Paul says. And by many witnesses here, Paul probably has in mind the Mosaic law, which says a testimony should be affirmed by at least two or three witnesses, right? But Paul also has the church in view, the gathering of God's people. What did the Lord Jesus say about the church? Where two or three are gathered, I am there with them. So whether it's two or three witnesses affirming the the truth of the gospel or two or three hundred or two or three thousand, these witnesses should be affirming the truth of the gospel. 
And that's what we do as a church every single Lord's Day. We affirm the testimony that the eternal word of God, Jesus Christ, came to this world. That he is the creator and sustainer of all things. We affirm that we were made in his likeness and for his glory and made to follow the rules and the law of the Lord. But we affirm that we all have gone astray from his good and righteous rule. We affirm that we all have rebelled against the word of the Lord, against the ways of the Lord. And we affirm because of that, because of those sins, that we all deserve God's just judgment for our sins and against our sins. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the very word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us in this world. His words were shared with others. They were heard and they were affirmed. His ways were shown before others. They were seen and they were affirmed. His miracles were seen and affirmed by many witnesses. But he lived a perfect life and then hung on the cross before many witnesses who saw him die. But many witnesses also affirmed that he rose from the grave as they went to visit him, and there was an empty tomb. And the angel says, he is not here, is risen as he said. And then he appeared to hundreds of people over these several weeks, affirming to them, look at my hands, look at my side. I really am he. I really did rise from the grave. And before he ascended into heaven, he said to his followers, you shall be my witnesses. From Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So we affirm, brothers and sisters, that we all need to be reconciled to God. And there's only one way to do that. That's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And that offer is still available today. So friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to turn away from your sins and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, judgment is all that awaits you. But if you turn, mercy is what awaits you because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And we affirm, if you put your faith in him today, that he will save you and he will keep you until the very end. And we love to talk to you about that today. If that's you and you have more questions about what that means to give your life to Christ. Brothers and sisters, remember, we are all witnesses of this gospel and his good news and that means we have the responsibility and the privilege to faithfully reproduce faithful ministers. You may have been to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. I went there several years ago, and these types of museums are memorable for many reasons. But for me, what sticks out the most is when you walk in, and you can picture it if you've been there, you see that dark gray wall all, that goes all the way up to the ceiling, and somewhere towards the top is this phrase from Isaiah 43.10. It says, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Now, they have that there because they want everyone who comes in to be reminded of the fact that 
you've seen the evidence of what happened. You've seen these atrocities. Don't let it happen again. You are witnesses of it, right? But Isaiah there is actually talking about the Lord's servant, Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls us his witnesses. We have heard his words. We have seen his works. We have seen his glory. So it's our responsibility to share what we have seen and heard as part of our testimony. Think of the blind man who was healed, who was harassed by these Pharisees who kept asking him all these questions in John chapter 9. He said, all I know was I once was blind and now I see. Or think about the Samaritan woman who shared her testimony with the entire town afterwards. She said, come see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Let's make it our aim this year to be faithful witnesses to the people around us about the words and the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've been entrusted to that, to share what we've seen and what we've heard from him. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 to entrust this gospel message to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So again, Paul here, talking to Timothy, a pastor, saying, entrust this gospel ministry to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's a passing of the torch there in view. From one generation to another. That's exactly the method that the Lord Jesus Christ used in discipleship. What did Jesus do? He invested his life into ordinary men, ordinary people who weren't always faithful, mind you. But by God's grace, they became faithful teachers of the gospel. And they pass on the message of the gospel faithfully to those who would eventually pass on the message of the gospel faithfully to others. So this passage applies to pastoral ministry, obviously, but it also applies to our ministry here as a church. And as it says there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, pastors should be able to teach so that they can teach and spread and pass on the gospel. That's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's why there's qualifications there. One of them being they must be able to teach, able to handle God's word, because through the regular preaching ministry of the church, that's how the gospel is passed on throughout generation after generation. Let's pray that the ministry of the word here in our church will remain faithful, faithful to the Lord, faithful to his word. And let's come every Lord's Day eager to hear from God's word, eager to hear it read, eager to hear it sung through our songs that we sing together, eager to hear it preached. Even reading the passage that the, the, the preacher is going to preach on ahead of time and pray for the preacher, pray for the preaching of the word, pray that the Lord will already start using the word in your life. And then be willing, as so many of you already do, to share that encouragement with others and even with those who preach. And as you hear encouraging things being proclaimed from God's word, feel free to encourage the preacher. 
through a smile or a nod or an amen. Amen? Amen. Because pastors are, are entrusted to handle God's word with care, and that's such a great responsibility to do so faithfully. But that's also why pastors are not just preachers. They are shepherds. So praise the Lord for, our, for the Lord giving our church already so many faithful shepherds. What a gift these men are to our entire church. But also what a responsibility that we as elders have. Pray for us to remain faithful to the Lord. But let's remember that the great commission to make disciples was given to the entire church. Remember that Paul told Timothy earlier that this sincere faith that he has was passed along to him by his grandmother and his mother. And that Paul became the spiritual father of Timothy to encourage him in the faith. So again, that relay race, or that passing of the baton, is in view. So where do you fit along there? Are you more of a Paul, father or mother in the faith? Are you more of a Timothy, where you're receiving from others? But if you think about it, this is actually pretty layered, right? You have the Paul to Timothy, you have Timothy to faithful men, you have faithful men to others, and it continues to go on. So that actually means you can be a Paul, so to speak, and be a Timothy at the exact same time, right? That's what the relay of, the relay of faith is like. But if you've ever seen a relay, the most important thing about a relay race is the passing of the baton and making sure that you don't drop it. Even Olympians struggle with this, where you have, for Team USA, for example, some of the most skilled and best athletes in the entire world, some of the fastest people who have ever lived, getting disqualified over and over and over again in the Olympic relay races. Why? Because they dropped the baton, or they made the exchange at the wrong time, or they bumped into somebody else, or as one writer put it, if there's a way to blow a baton exchange, the United States men's 4 by 100 relay team has done it. Ouch. God wants us to stay engaged in the race, to pay attention, to carry the baton, to pass it on faithfully to others. But my encouragement, church, is to continue to give yourself to the church. Give yourself to one another. Don't shy away from each other. Find your place in this relay race of faith that we're in and aim to have a vibrant ministry of the word among one another. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a teen who's a little further along than somebody else, whether you're an older saint, whether you've just come to faith this year, we all have a role to play. So let's pray that the Lord would use us faithfully. Let's pray that the Lord would continue to raise up faithful pastors, even among us here. Let's pray that the Lord would use us, Chevrolet Baptist Church, to plant other churches that will share the gospel and proclaim the gospel, that we will pass it on as a church to others, to the nations. Pray that we will remain faithful. And faithfulness required because, point three, 
A faithful ministry requires suffering. It's just part of it. A faithful ministry requires suffering. And starting in verse 3, Paul gives a visual of what this faithful ministry should look like. He has these metaphors of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And he links these metaphors together through suffering. Look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now remember, Paul was in prison, and he was in prison a lot. He had his fair share of experiences with Roman guards and Roman soldiers and officers, and their job was to follow orders, orders that they received from others. That's what they did. And if they were a good soldier, they didn't get caught up in civilian affairs. Paul says that Timothy should suffer like a good soldier. He should share in suffering like a good soldier. Because Timothy, like Paul, like us, we have a commanding officer. But why the word suffering here? Paul tells Timothy all throughout this letter, about suffering and reminds him to rejoice in it, says that he needs to share in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the gospel. But also remember that all of God's people, including Christ himself, when you share in suffering, that's your participants in that suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says in Philippians, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And we're reminded that we, as God's people, are not the only ones that suffer. All of God's people face suffering. But this word suffering about soldiers is used to indicate the kind of life that a soldier lives. It's one of duty. They do what they're told. Many of you here have or you currently do serve our country, so you know what this is like, right? You receive orders to be here. And we praise the Lord that you are here for this season. But if you receive other orders tomorrow... You have to follow those orders. If you're assigned a role right now, even if you don't love it, that's just what you do. Because your job is one of duty. Just think about it. A soldier serving in this country, for example, needing to report to duty. But they decide, "Ah, I don't want to go. And then the next day, I don't want to go. What happens eventually? Eventually, you'll say that that one has gone AWOL, absence without leave. There are consequences for that. You have to show up if you're a soldier. It's your duty to do so. Do we live our lives in this way before the Lord, brothers and sisters? As if it's our duty to show up. And we're going to show up because the Lord says to show up. Or have we gotten entangled in civilian affairs? Or have we, in some area of our lives, gone AWOL? Maybe, for example, you struggle with reading God's word. Or maybe you struggle with prayer. Maybe you wrestle with getting out of bed Sunday mornings to go to church. Like, do we have to do this again? Maybe you struggle with sharing the gospel with others. Maybe you know you should invest your life into other brothers and sisters to help them grow in the faith. But if you're honest, you don't really feel like it. You have enough going on in your own life, right? 
it's a delight to follow the Lord in all of these different ways. But if we're honest, it doesn't always feel delightful. But that's true about anything. With any job that you have, the job that you prayed for, you get it, and it's like, ah, I, I, I thought this would be different. I want a little bit more. Or think about your relationships. Wives in the room, do you always delight in your husband? Don't answer that out loud. But the answer is probably no, right? Or kids in the room, your parents love you. I promise you that. Do you think they always delight in you? Maybe most of the time, maybe especially if you're still little. But as you get older, it's like harder to do that, to be honest with you. I mean, just think about it. It's hard for you to delight in your siblings all the time, isn't it? Right? So why show up? Why set your alarm in the morning? Why continue to love? Why press on? Why study for that test for that, in that class that you don't like? Why have those tough conversations with someone you need to reconcile with? Why continue? Because it's part of our duty. And faithfulness is not merely about our delight. It's about our duty to the Lord. And therein lies the suffering. Because it's not about you, just like it's not about me. It's ultimately about the Lord and his glory. And it's easy for us to accept in our age that we live in that really the main thing is about us being content and happy and satisfied. But that is not the Lord's aim. He's after our sanctification. He's after our eternal good. Think about what Jesus says. He says we are to deny ourselves, carry our crosses daily, and follow him. That doesn't sound delightful. He says if anyone will want to find their life, they need to lose their life. That's not delightful either. We have a commanding officer, and we need to follow his orders. J.C. Rao writes this in his book, Holiness. He says, there are no spiritual gains without pains. I should soon expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing in his fields and never looking at them until harvest, as I expect a believer to attain much holiness who is not diligent about his Bible reading, his prayers, and his use of his Sundays. Our God is a God that works by means, and he will never bless the soul of that man who pretends to be so high and spiritual that he can get on without them. If you're wrestling in any of these areas spiritually, reading, praying, going to church, forgiveness, just show up. It's your duty. It's a delight that we've been given this duty from the Lord, but just show up anyway and allow the Lord to show his faithfulness to you. Because as you continue to show up, that duty will start to eventually feel delightful by God's grace. Paul tells Timothy to suffer then as a dutiful soldier, but also in verse 5, as a disciplined athlete. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, parents in the room, maybe you love playing with your kids just like I love playing with my kids. Sometimes I don't like playing with my kids because we establish rules of tag, for example, or free tag or whatever it is that we're playing. 
And midway through the game, I followed the rules, I caught them, and then they changed the rules. It's like base is not actually here. It's actually over there. I already went to it. And I'm like, you keep changing the rules. That's not fair. I can't win if I compete under those rules. What's happening here? Well, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to compete according to God's rules. And those rules, they don't change at all. You're not going to be crowned unless you compete according to those rules. That's true of any athlete. And that means that that requires discipline, right? Just like faithful disciples are called to remain disciplined to the Lord. Doing the same thing over and over and over again, the same exact way, and trusting that the results will come. That's faithfulness, that's discipline. And there's no true discipleship without discipline. It's a new year. Many of us have New Year's resolutions, right? Think about whatever your resolutions may be. Maybe it's that I am not going to eat ice cream after dinner, like me, for example. Or maybe I'm going to start exercising regularly, or I'm going to read through this amount of books of the Bible this year. Or I'm going to be more active and present. I'm going to spend less time on my phone, whatever it may be. It's all about discipline, isn't it? It all requires discipline. And part of the reason why many of these resolutions fail so quickly is that we don't maintain in that long enough. That discipline is not carried on long enough for it to become a habit in our lives. But that's why athletes, if they're going to be a good one, they embrace the fundamentals of any sport. They do the same thing the same exact way. If they shoot a basketball, they're going to shoot with the exact same form every single time. That's how they get so good. If they're in a relay race, and if they're going to be good about it, they're going to try to grab the baton the same exact way with the same exact hand every single time. So that becomes a habit. They're disciplined. If you're aiming to grow in Christ, to grow in discipline in any of these areas, you need to do these things repeatedly. So if you woke up this morning and you didn't read your Bible, find another time today to read your Bible. And then tomorrow, try again. And then Tuesday, try again. And then eventually, that discipline becomes a habit where you don't realize it's happening and there you are in front of God's word again. God wants us to be disciplined. That's what athletes do. They wake up early. They train late. They do it over and over again. They don't eat certain things. They stay away from certain places. Why? Because they want to be disciplined. And therein lies the suffering here. Because an athlete's life is one of discipline. It's one of sacrifice. And Paul is saying the Christian life is like that as well, of discipline and sacrifice. If you're here and you're not a Christian, let me just remind you here that this is why you cannot come to God on your own terms. He sets the terms. He sets the rules as it were. We must come to him based on what he's already said. But as we think about these metaphors, let's remember that we're called to be dutiful soldiers, but our God is a faithful commander. He's not one that's whimsical. He's not just going to change his mind. And what he does is actually for our good. And as we are competing as athletes, 
The rules are not going to constantly change because his rules are given to us in his word. And his rules, his testimonies, are good for us. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus did in his life and ministry on earth. He suffered in coming to this world, leaving behind his glory. He got entangled in our affairs for our good. He touched the sick. He was with the poor and the outcasts and the sinners and the needy, but he completely obeyed the Father and only did what he wanted him to do. And he pleased the Father all the way to the cross because that was the only way to do it. He was mocked with a crown of thorns and hung on the cross. And apparently this was defeat, but it actually was our greatest victory. He is now seated on the throne and every knee will bow before him. So fix your eyes on Christ as you live a dutiful and disciplined life. Remember that though faithfulness requires suffering, suffering, it will be rewarded. Which leads us to our final point, briefly. A faithful ministry will be rewarded. What Paul says to Timothy in verses 6 and 7. So he uses this metaphor here of the hardworking farmer. He says that this hardworking farmer should have the share of the first crops. And he says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. So faithfulness, long obedience in the same direction. That's embodied in the work of a farmer. And farmers have to be dutiful. They have to also be disciplined. They also have to work hard. They sow, they tend for months in advance until eventually they receive a harvest. And they should benefit from their efforts. They should have the first share of the crops. And so should we if we're going to minister faithfully. And our first share being our own growth in Christ and also seeing the growth of other people. But as you share God's word or as you disciple other people, you might have already noticed that God uses that to grow you in some ways. He uses that for your benefit, for your good. You reap from that. And by God's grace, we're able to see God's work in other people's lives and say, I had a very small role in that. Praise the Lord. We get to reap. But farming requires patience. Just like faithfulness does. This may take a while. We may not always see the results of our ministry, of our ministering, of our sharing the gospel. We might have devotions around a family dinner and we might think, what the heck is happening right now? What is going on? Is it actually going to matter? Or maybe you spend years investing your life into this church, into these neighborhoods around us, sharing the gospel with your family members, friends, children around you, etc., building relationships on college campus, campuses, for example. Do you ever think, is this actually going to amount to anything? Is there actually going to be good in Awanas every single Sunday? Is there ever going to be any good that comes from this? What about the work at UMD? Is there ever going to be any lasting fruit from this? What about coming early to set up and staying late to clean up? Is the Lord going to bear any fruit from this? Brothers, sisters, remain faithful to the Lord. Do not grow weary in doing good because God says, if we do not lose heart, we will reap eventually. 
Remember that God's working even when we're resting. The Lord is the one that decides when these crops are going to grow and how they're going to grow. And the Lord rewards those who diligently seek after him. So Paul is telling Timothy here, press on. Even if you don't see any fruit right away, keep going. The Lord will provide, he will reward, and he will provide understanding. Hasn't the Lord already done that for these past several years? Haven't we seen people come to faith in Christ through the ministry of this church? Haven't you seen parents, your children, grow in their own faith and understanding of the gospel? Haven't you seen people around you, neighbors coming in, or people even who come and gone from us who still come back and visit and are encouraged by this ministry from afar? Isn't the Lord already at work among us? He is. Our job is to remain faithful and press on because he will reward his people. So keep going, keep loving, keep serving, keep enduring patiently and rejoice as you see the Lord's work among us. Remain faithful in your ministry, Paul says. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. Remain faithful in your ministry. But keep in mind, as you do, one day there will be another opening ceremony of sorts where all the nations will gather around the throne of our God. We will sing holy and holy and holy to the Lord Jesus Christ, where he will usher in the new heavens and new earth, and our ministry won't be needed anymore. And all that's left for us to do is worship our King. Remain faithful as we long for that day. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us remain faithful, but we praise you for being faithful to us. Lord, help us to remember that our faithfulness is dependent on you. Help us to fully rely on you for that. Encourage us today in Jesus' name. Amen.